Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello. I've just found myself having a little moment when I realised this is the 28th episode of the show. Anyway, today's guest is Lisa, an absolutely gorgeous mum who is also known from her Instagram account as Rainbow and Renovation. Lisa tells her brave story of infertility, IVF and loss. She talks me through her pregnancy journey, which tragically led to losing her precious son Dylan at 16 weeks, and how it was later discovered that she has what is known as an incompetent cervix, and then how this has since been managed to hopefully prevent anything similar ever happening again. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I, I didn't ask, actually, have you got, I know you've got hot water, have you got heating yet? I, I've got my little air heater in the background, which you might hear uh, whirring in a minute, and I've got my blanket on my knees. Your and blanket. <laughs> so no actual heating, no central heating? No, we haven't even got the radiators on. We took them all off. Um, oh, no because we needed to plaster so um yeah it'll be all right they'll go on and then it'll be a heat wave or something yeah absolutely <laughs> how long have you not had any hot, um any heating for it will be three weeks um, oh. but we did get back on because the boiler went down as well but we did get our hot water back on on friday so that was just a dream i was beyond happy about that <laughs> do you know what since i've moved to dubai i um i'm like the running joke of our family because i've become so so soft it's ridiculous like i am just yeah. the biggest wuss so i've been watching you on instagram go oh my god you poor woman <laughs> just... yeah. yeah yeah it has been it has been a challenge but we've, we've got through it i think so. and it's gonna be worth it as, as we were just saying <laughs> so Lisa, um, as you know i start my podcast uh, with the same question which is how you met your is it your husband i don't know actually you're married yes you yeah, are married. Yeah, um, married. it's yeah. ryan isn't it yes yeah he's he's not um got any kind of instagram presence really and um so yeah i don't probably post as much about him <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah um yeah we, we met in 2011 we met on holiday in ibiza did you um, yeah yeah it wasn't um it wasn't a holiday romance or anything like that. Um, we met on the last day. Um, so we were staying in the same hotel, but um, sort of back then, not so much anymore, but back then I was a bit of a party animal, whereas Ryan has never been like that. And so I didn't meet him because we were kind of on different time zones because I'd be coming in at an, ungod- an ungodly hour <laughs> and he'd kind of, you know, still be in bed or whatever. So but my friends had met his friends and they said, oh, there's a group of lads staying in the hotel from London. They're really nice, but didn't I never saw them. And then on the last day, as you know, you get kicked out of the hotel, don't you, quite early. So we're sitting around the pool waiting for the coach to come and pick us up. And um, yeah, got chatting and then that was it really. And then um, his friend threw me in the pool and I was fully closed. And so I went, no. I know. Um, so I went to get changed and put on another set of clothes to go home in. And then my friend left um, his friend a note behind reception. And then we got on our coach, went home. And then when we got home, my friend said, oh, 
Ryan from around the pool has um, added me on Facebook. And I thought, oh, Ryan, that was when I was talking to. I thought we had a bit of a spark, but then I thought, oh, maybe he likes my friend. And um, and then she messaged me again and said, oh, actually, he added me because he couldn't find you. Can he have your details? Um, and then we went out on a date that weekend. He was living in London. That's where he's from. He was living in London. I was living 30 miles away in Luton, so not too far. Yeah. And yeah, we met up that weekend and the rest was history, really. Oh, I love that. That's so nice. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm such a, I don't know, I love listening to all the, the little love stories. That I know, yeah, I do. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and when did you get married? We got married in July 2014. Um, so almost three years to the day late, um, later. And uh uh, by that point, he was living in Luton. Um, oh no, we, sorry, we, we, he'd moved to Luton, and then we bought we bought our house up in Bedford. Um, and yeah, we were married within three years, which is quite quick, really, when you think about it. But a lot had kind of happened. Ryan hadn't been very well, and um, it put a lot into perspective for us. And we kind yeah. of thought, you know what, let's just go for it. You know, we knew we were in love. And yes to be together and yeah so, so we just went for it really. well you say that's quick I was married 11 months from the day I met my husband wow gosh wow so you knew you knew it was real then <laughs> yeah there was that and um there was a slight pregnancy related incident as well. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but no, no it was love it was absolutely love I moved countries for him so of course yeah, <laughs> it, just, marketing, marketing. It, it all just got sped up somewhat that was all yeah yeah <laughs> So when did you guys start um, your trying uh, to try for a baby? So, um, so Ryan had, um, so Ryan had, when we met, Ryan wasn't very well. And he told me very, very sort of soon after we met, I think he'd had a chat with his mum and his mum had said, you know, you need to kind of tell anyone that you're going to be in a relationship with what, what's going to happen and stuff. Um, but now I know Ryan a lot better. I know that he has a tendency to downplay things, particularly if it comes to his health. And so he said to me, um, you know, sort of in the latter part of 2011, oh, I'm going to need a kidney transplant at some point. I'm, I, I take a lot of medication because I've had all this other health stuff in the past. He's had health problems since birth, really. Mm-hmm. But to look at him, you would never know anything. And, you know, he worked on a building site, still does, you know, works really long, intensive hours um so he kind of masked it quite well and so because he seemed quite relaxed about it I was so end of we kind of had a couple of years where and over those next two years it was really apparent that he wasn't well and he'd been in and out of hospital and his kidney was was failing basically but we would kind of always kind of he would, it would always bounce back you know mm-hmm. a few days so then he'd come home and then he we would do we'd try some new diet and then things would improve for a few months and then end of two sort of towards the end of 2013 the hospital said oh no you will definitely need a transplant this year I mean he he held out for a long time he was 30 by this point but they thought that he'd need his transplant by the age of about 20 so he he sort of strung it out for another 10 years pretty good and he wasn't on dialysis he refused it which again knowing what I know now was was a big decision to have made anyway so he had the surgery he had a transplant at the end of 2013 he had his dad's kidney oh wow and that, that was a success and then a month later we moved into our house in Bedford which is just crazy thinking we bought a house with all that going on and then seven months later we were married and that was a busy year 
It really was. <laughs> I was thinking about yesterday and I was uh, we I remember he was in hospital in um the high dependency unit after the transplant and I'd be sitting in the waiting room ordering tea lights for the wedding tables and <laughs> two floor tiles for the new house. And it's just balmy when you think about it. But I think that's how some people just get and that's what I'm like. I just needed another focus. And yeah. I probably it wasn't until after, perhaps when he came home. And I realised what a big deal it was that he'd been through. And we both realised, you know, that that surgery was a really big deal. And actually, when we saw the effects of the new kidney, his dad's kidney, how unwell he'd been. You know, almost overnight, he he gained weight, he got facial hair, and now he's got a beard that he won't get rid of. Um, (laughs) Is is that courtesy Um, of lockdown? Yeah, it's that. And the fact that he now can grow one. He won't hear of getting rid of it. No matter Good, what wear it with pride, Ryan. Don't listen <laughs> to does. it. <laughs> does. And um, yeah, and so we, so so we kind of, it, yeah. And then we got married, and I'd say, and then he he did have a bit of a he caught a virus, which you might know from your midwifery days. He caught a virus um, called CMV, um, which is passed. It's to do. It's they ask the question during pregnancy. They ask you, and actually, if I didn't. If I hadn't been with Ryan, I wouldn't even know what CMV was. But it's just to do with tissue and skin tissue. It's incredibly rare. And basically, the virus passed between him and his dad when the kidney was put in. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it didn't come out and for another year. So the end of 2014, he did get quite poorly. He was back in intensive care. But Ryan being Ryan bounced back. Um, then I think we, thought, we sort of thought, do you know what? There's no point wasting time. We want to start a family because... What we have here is a gift. Ryan's well. He's got, you know, his dad's kidney. It, you know, it's, it's functioning really well. Even to this day, everything's really good. Um, but we kind of, it, you know, where people around us were saying, oh, we want to wait five, six years. Yeah. We, we kind of know that life is a gift and actually we didn't want to waste any time. So by 2015, we, we were trying for a baby. And um, I'd had a bit of endometriosis before I'd met Ryan. Uh, I'd been having some really painful and heavy periods. So I'd had a laparoscopy and they'd removed it. It was really, really not a lot of endo, but they removed a little bit. And the doctor at the time said, oh, if ever you want to have, you know, want to start a family, come back. And if there's any endo, we'll remove it. And then you start trying straight away. So I did that, went back at the beginning of 2015. I think there was a tiny, tiny bit of very, you know, low grade endo, they, they, they lasered it off and said, right, on your way, start trying for a baby. And um, nothing really happened or nothing happened. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't really, I know that some women, when they're trying to conceive, kind of they, they're, they're doing the ovulation sticks and they're tracking. I didn't have a clue about any of that stuff. I was, I mean, I was 27 years old. Only a few people around me had children at the time. Yeah. And I just wasn't thinking like that. I was just, yeah, let's just go for it. I didn't have any idea when you could fall pregnant in a month or anything like that. No, but that's the way it should be. Um, yeah, you know, when yeah. You first start trying. That's 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 what it's meant Magic, to be. Magic, like. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, neither did my mum. It was only, I think, it was last year I said to my mum about ovulation cycles, and she's had three children. You know, with no- <laughs> she didn't even know. So you know, I didn't stand much chance, did I? But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, so, and then I think, but me being me, kind of got towards the end of 2015 and I thought, this isn't happening and I want to know why it's not happening because, you know, I don't know how long we have, you know, with any of this. Nobody knows how long anyone has, do we? Mm -hmm. So, 
since 2015, we paid privately to go. I went to an IVF clinic for some tests and um, they came back and they said, oh, everything's fine with you, Lisa. Your AMH is high, you know, good, um, good for your age. Everything's perfect with you. But there's a complication with the drugs that Ryan takes that basically kills off any live semen before it can leave. So, you know, if we have sex, it's all very normal and yeah. what it would look normal. Um, but what comes out is, is is dead because of the steroids that he takes um, as part of the anti-rejection stuff for his kidney. So that was a real blow, really. Um, but because of that, um, because we had a definite diagnosis and because they said you'll never conceive naturally, we were kind of fast-tracked for IVF without, through the NHS. So funded right. cycle. we had one funded cycle at the clinic. Um, so we had our first cycle there at the beginning of, I've got my years mixed up, sorry, that was 2016. And uh, we had our first cycle at the beginning of 2017. Okay. Yeah, so we had um, our first cycle of um, IVF um, at the beginning of 2017. Um, and... I think it's fair to say it was a bit of a disaster all round, really. I think I didn't really know much about IVF and the clinic that we were at at the time weren't terribly good, I don't think, at explaining. And I don't think that um, it was unique to us, but I think because it was our first cycle and particularly because it was an NHS cycle, I think our clinic were using it as a bit of a trial run, but it didn't feel like a trial run for us because oh. we were still very much in it. No, of course. So, so we were kind of... Um, yeah, we, we were sort of, you know, we weren't given answers. I was asking, you know, I'd like to know a lot of detail about these things. And I did at the time and I'd be asking questions and I wasn't getting very many answers. And the clinic weren't great at communicating overall, really. But um, so we had egg collection and we got six eggs, which is a really good number. But for, for what they were expecting, because my AMH was so high, mm-hmm. they were expecting it to be, you know, a, a much higher than that. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we had nothing to compare it to. So um we anyway we had a fresh transfer and put one in the freezer and after the transfer a few days after we decided to go on a little break and went to Wales for a few days and we were driving down to Wales and it was on day six and I remember and I started to bleed and I said to Ryan I mean I don't you know I didn't know much about the time but I know that bleeding wasn't a good sign I knew that anyway and I thought this doesn't feel right and but then I spoke to some of the girls on um, that Instagram and mm. they were saying oh it could be implantation bleeding so then I kind of had a bit of hope and I was thinking, yeah. well maybe it is and um but then you know within a few days it was like a full-on bleed so I think there'd obviously been an, an issue there with maybe my progesterone or something to have bled so early so um that cycle didn't work and then we had uh, one in the freezer but then that resulted in one cancelled cycle and then the other one was um, on the day of transfer. They rung me as I was putting my shoes on. I still remember I was putting on my pink Converse trainers and the phone rung and it was the clinic. And they said, oh, your embryo didn't survive the thaw. And I sort of stood there in my trainers and I, okay, do I still come up to the clinic? Oh. Then? <laughs> and the nurse sort of said, no. And I said, oh, what do I do? She just said, oh, stop the drugs and a doctor will call you next week. Next week. And- yeah because it was oh. on a Friday oh, all these no. things always seem to happen don't they and the doctor I, I, that was the last time I ever heard from that clinic and I and we knew then we sort of thought I don't want to be chasing a clinic you know because I you know 
as it often is the case, the woman is kind of the one that's sort of driving it all yeah. in terms of clinic contact. And uh-huh. I thought, I don't want to be, you know, chasing the clinic and I'm paying them a lot of money. I don't want to be paying them money to be not getting anyone ring me back or at least check if we're okay. So we didn't go back to that clinic. And then we um, started making plans. And then beginning of 2018, we started at our next clinic, which, yeah, which was our second clinic. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. So then you started more cycles? Yeah. So we had, um, so then we had our cycle at our second clinic and our first fresh transfer was a success. And um, I just, if I could just bottle that feeling of when we first got pregnant, it was just magic. It really was. And I think in a way, if, if even though like our first attempts over at the first clinic hadn't been all that great, I think if it, if it had worked then, I think it would have changed my view. My view on IVF is probably quite different now because we're so far down the road with it. But even then, I sort of was still kind of believing in the magic of it all. And eventually it works for everyone and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, and then so that first cycle at our, our second clinic did work. And um, as you as you probably aware, the IVF clinics discharge you quite early so you kind of get the heartbeat out of the way even if that and then they sort of say off, off you go back to the NHS all they what, said at was, what point um because it's different over here so what point did you get oh, okay. um discharged um it was six weeks okay yeah, yeah no less uh, yeah. but as it's 12 so it's a big difference oh wow yeah, yeah that is really, and it yeah, was I mean weekly scans um oh, until wow. 12 weeks Gosh, which is which is amazing but also scans like this is huge yeah so yeah it's kind of like a who knows what's best I'm not sure but yeah, yeah. It, I guess overall reassuring so you were back in the NHS care it's at only six weeks yeah I mean I was although I loved I loved it I loved being pregnant I was very anxious I think probably because I'm on the Instagram community and you know the IVF and baby loss community are so entwined you know so you kind of you can't be on that bit of the world and seeing mm-hmm. all these pregnancies without seeing the other side of it which is that people do lose babies and uh, you know particularly that first trimester it, you know it, nothing's guaranteed so we were having we were under the um, early pregnancy unit at our local hospital and having regular scans there and then in between we'd be paying and having the private scans as well and as you say about scan anxiety I mean I would literally have a scan and, you know, be elated for about 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes later in the car, I'd be going, what if something's changed? Oh my God, my boobs aren't hurting anymore. Yeah. Or if something feels different. Can we go back? You know, and I'd be, I'd be literally on my phone booking the next scan. I mean, we must've spent hundreds and, um, but yeah, you just, I mean, at the time I, and I still would say to anyone, if it helps do it, uh, you know, but I, I don't know that it did help long-term, you know, having all of those um, scans. Um, I think you've got to do what you've got to do to get through absolutely. The, the days really I think um, yeah if not it's you know yeah you've got anxiety, but then you've also got the the fear if you don't have a scan as well so you've you've got to balance it somehow absolutely yeah absolutely and yeah and you know that we were excited it was our first pregnancy so we kind of you know every kind of week or whatever that we were going or every few days um <laughs> you know something was changing with the baby so we it was it was exciting to see that and we wanted to see that so so yeah and um then at nine weeks the clinic had said to us to stop taking our progesterone which which was actually quite early you know when I spoke to other ladies but mm-hmm. you know I didn't have any reason to query that because um I trusted the clinic and, and, you know, I, I, I don't, 
you know, there's nothing, I wouldn't blame them for anything at all, but I had no reason to question that. So we stopped our progesterone at nine weeks and, um, yeah, and then the next few weeks kind of coasted along and I got to around 13 weeks and I started having really bad pain at the bottom of my back and right at the front of my pelvic area. Um, but, you know, any pregnant woman you talk to will say, tell you that they get pain in pregnancy mm-hmm. and they, they might not remember when in their pregnancy they got it. So everyone I'd speak to who had had a baby would say, oh, yeah, pelvic girdle pain or SPD or whatever it is. And um I spoke to my, my midwife, I, um, I spoke to my GP and they, they said the same and they referred me for some um, physio and, um, but that wasn't going to be for a few weeks. And then they, they said about doing um, the aqua natal stuff, you know, the sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I was all signed up for all that sort of stuff. And then a week or so later, we, um, we went to, and I was being scanned and everything was okay. So I, I kind of didn't know any different. And then a week or so later, we went to see um, Michael McIntyre, uh, the comedian over yep. at the O2. At the O2, and um, we were meeting friends there. And I said to Ryan, like, I'm. We were meant to stay in a hotel, and we cancelled the hotel because I just said I want to sleep in my own bed tonight. And we we got there really, really early. We drove up really, really early so that we could be guaranteed car parking space not yep. too far from the, the O2. And we were walking around, and I was just in complete agony. And then my friends came and met us and one of my friends had had a baby and I said to her about this pain and she was saying, oh yeah, I had exactly the same on my first pregnancy, this really bad pain. You just have to take it easy and all this sort of stuff. But, and I had nothing to compare it to. And I think not only that, I, um, you don't want to be the one that complains about your pregnancy symptoms when you fought so hard to get pregnant. Yeah. And so I kind of just thought oh, maybe I'm just being a bit of a drama queen and um we had had that night and uh, then we drove home and Ryan drove home and I had to put the seat right back I couldn't sit up the whole journey home I had to lie down and I just kept thinking something doesn't feel right but everyone around me was saying it's fine you know and baby's fine so don't worry and you're in the second trimester now so there's nothing to worry about and about a week or so later um I woke up and I had 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 some bleeding so we went up to the um, A&E and they um I was seen by a doctor but he didn't do an ultrasound but he did like I don't know what he was really doing because he was kind of touching my tummy and stuff and um he said you know we, we can't do an ultrasound today because it's Sunday and um <laughs> there isn't anyone available to do it and my husband's sort of like Ryan's quite a very sort of neutral person quite you know easygoing but he really did push and he said look she's just going to be a state if I take her home someone needs to look and just check the baby's okay and we'll go home so they managed they managed to find someone that would do an ultrasound on me and uh, they checked they checked everything inside they did an internal they said everything was okay and I was sent home and then within a few hours the bleeding had got really really heavy so I went back up to the hospital and they'd given me like a fast track note that I could go straight into the obs and gyne bit yeah and um, I was seen again by the fir- by the same doctor who I'd seen earlier that day and she looked again and that's when she said um the neck of your womb is open and you're at risk of miscarriage and I just remember thinking I can't miscarry because I'm in the second trimester. That doesn't Mm -hmm. happen. And even though I know that it can, and I know women that it's happened to, I just remember thinking, no, no, that that, that won't happen because no, I'm I'm beyond that point now. That's not going to happen to me. 
And there was a nurse with her and the nurse who, who was with her had been with her early that day when she scanned me. And this nurse was also pregnant and she was a couple of weeks ahead of me. And when I'd seen her earlier that day, she was so lovely. And she said to me, oh, you know, we're both in the same bit together, the second trimester. This is when it gets really fun. Just go and enjoy it, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And she was then back with this doctor when this doctor was telling me the pregnancy was, was at risk. And um, she started to cry. And that's when I knew that we were in real trouble. Yeah. And um, <laughs> sorry. And, that's all right. Um, no, take your time. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so then they said, well, we can... Um, it was a Sunday, so there wasn't obviously many, it was sort of, there weren't many people around. So they said, we can, um, you know, bring you into the ward. We'll keep you here and we'll kind of monitor you. And I was just like, yes, please. I cannot go home. Yeah. I was, I was terrified. So um, they kept me in and um, they were monitoring me, but no one was really telling me anything. Um, no one was really saying what it was. And it was only because I was then, on the Instagram community and I was kind of I think I was maybe posted on my stories and a few people came back and they were saying things about incompetent cervix and all that sort of stuff and obviously and then I started looking that up and I thought well that sounds about right because before I'd had uh, before we'd had that IVF cycle I'd had some precancerous cells removed from my cervix and a let's procedure yeah and there was all this stuff online about you know how it can weaken your cervix and all this sort of stuff but I'd never you know I'd never had that raised as an issue I told the clinic at every scan I'd mentioned that I'd had this let's procedure and never been raised or anyone had ever said it was a risk factor and uh and then yeah so I was in the hospital and then I was still bleeding and they I'm um O negative blood type and yep. the, the midwife or not midwife but she was like a uh, I don't know what she was a nurse or something a gynae nurse yeah she 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 came in and gave me um an anti-d injection and I looked it up and um, like, because they didn't explain why they were giving me these things. So I looked it up and then I thought, and again, it was saying, you know, if you're at risk of, of a loss or anything like that, they'll give you it in your first pregnancy. And all this stuff was just going around my head. And I was thinking, we're in real trouble. And um, so there was a consultant and then she came to see me on the Monday and she said, um, you know, we think that you're probably too far gone for the emergency stitch and your cervix is too open given the amount that you're bleeding but if um but I just kept pushing I just kept saying please just do anything you can save this pregnancy I don't care about me I don't care you know because she was saying about well, there's a risk of you getting an infection there's a risk of this and I, I really in that moment did not care about what would happen to me you know just yeah so um they she said oh well, we'll take you down for surgery on Tuesday as long as the bleeding has subsided Tuesday morning I woke up and I'd had a lot of blood and possibly not the, the best decision I've ever made but I I hid the sanitary towels so that nobody knew because I just thought get me into that surgery save my baby and whatever's happening with my bleeding um you know whatever I'll suffer the consequences and um <laughs> yeah so you rebel Lisa <laughs> it was I was just I was just I was just completely desperate you know there was that you know real desperation yeah. it was just I can't even explain it and I don't even know if I've told Ryan this so he'll hear this when he hears the podcast um but yeah so anyway um we we went down, <laughs> went down for um for surgery and um I was put under general anesthetic and it, I don't it's really strange I love being put to sleep by the way I love being sedated anything <laughs> like, I love it so give me give me it all so um I was put 
foot to sleep and I don't know how awake you are in those things in terms of like the part of your brain that's still hearing things but I woke up and I came round and I just knew something had gone wrong and I I was just in the general recovery you know suite where there's people over there having recovered from a leg surgery or whatever yeah. so the nurse who was coming around and taking obs I just kept saying to her what's happened like is my baby okay I know that the stitch didn't go in I know the stitch didn't go in please someone come and explain this to me and she was just saying I can't tell you anything I don't know much about your surgery and I was being a real diva and I just in the end I wouldn't let them take my obs I wouldn't let them you know because they kept trying trying to take my um, blood pressure I wouldn't let them do anything I was um, saying that I was going to walk up to the ward, which actually I was like completely starkers under this hospital gown. <laughs> and the ward where my bed was, was about half a mile walk. So the hospital <laughs> would have got a right view if I'd have done that. And I was like linked up with the IV drip and everything. And, um, but yes, yeah, so in the end, I was protesting so much. They said, you're disrupting all the other people that were recovering from their surgery. We'll have to take you back up to the ward. Because oh, I just didn't it. know. I just well, didn't know. You know, you I was know so... good for you. There should have been someone there when you woke up to explain what happened yeah because in my head I just wanted to know the baby was alive that was the only thing just please tell me the baby's alive and I'll I'll relax and then you can tell me what happened to the surgery and and nobody was telling me anything so they brought me back up to the to the ward and Ryan was sitting there waiting in my little bed space bit and I just shook my head at him and he said what what's happened and I said "I, I don't know I just know that something isn't right and um well I I say it was an hour it felt like a hundred hours but an hour or so later the the consultant came back up and she said yeah the um the baby's okay but the stitch we couldn't do it because you're you're too dilated basically um there's not much more we can do for you now because you're at 16 weeks and if you even if you were to um deliver the baby here you know there's nothing the, there's nothing we can do the, the we're, we're told to the, the nurses and midwives whatever would be told to stand back we're not allowed to do anything so it won't make a difference whether you're here or at home and at this point I was so annoyed and just tired and I was in a maternity ward so I was surrounded by women oh, who were God. having their babies yeah. and I was just thinking if I'm going to lose a baby and you know I didn't know what that was going to even look like but I just knew that I didn't want to be around women who were you know with their live babies So I said to the doctor, oh, I've heard about progesterone. Can you give me some progesterone to take home? I heard that can help my cervix. And she was really reluctant. But I think because I was just so, uh, you know, manic, I think she just gave me some progesterone to take home and just said, see what happens and take it easy when you go home. Um, So we went home, had a couple of days at home. Then on a Wednesday, I went back there because I'd had some more bleeding. I saw the same doctor and she was just really cold and I remember saying to her we we scanned we had a scan she looked at the baby baby was fine could see all the blood and the heart running through and everything like that and there was that moment where I just thought we're going to be okay maybe it's going to be okay Mm -hmm. and um and then I said to her you know what happens if I go home and I go into labor and she said it won't be it's not labor it's a miscarriage at this stage and I said okay what what is what will this look like I don't know what any of this is like you know this is my first day of pregnancy and she said she explained you know you'll probably pass a really large clot and then you'll have some you'll have a bit of pain and then um and then I said to her what do I do with the baby and then she said you put the fetus in a plastic Tupperware um 
pot and you decide what to do with it and make sure the placenta comes out too I didn't even know what placenta looks like I don't think I'd still do really and um and I said what what would you do if you were in this situation and she said go home um hope for the best but prepare for the worst and that was just the worst thing to say to me because I just was like how do you do that because I because on one hand I'd just seen our baby that yeah. was living and yeah. moving and growing and um on the other I was like being told to almost detach and it was just completely surreal and, and anyway, put it in we a plastic out. box as well yeah like, yeah and it was just yeah. like there was almost just no I think it, it, it felt almost like well you know this isn't our problem anymore you know we've done all we can for you so and I appreciate knowing what I know now that actually there probably wasn't much in terms of medical stuff that could have been done but it was how we were treated there was an emotional things that could have been done there was emotional support that was could have been absolutely absolutely and so yeah we went home and then uh, the next morning my mum came around because my hair was like um it just I looked like something out of Lord of the Rings or something so uh, my my um, my mum came around to help me wash my hair and I said to her um mum well I know like when my waters go and she said yeah yeah of course you will of course you will and at that moment I felt my waters go oh, and um, yeah yeah and I didn't tell her and I because I remember I just kept thinking that I just if I can just always pretend this isn't happening we'll get we'll get that far we'll get that far and we went downstairs and mum mum put me on the sofa and Ryan was there, which he never really is around during the day because he's self-employed. So he doesn't take days off very much. And um, and I, my mum was about to go and I just said, I just need to push. I need to push. I could just feel my body contracting. And yeah, and within a few minutes, it was all over. Um, but I didn't, um, and then Ryan... Um, called the ambulance and the paramedics came out and they were just amazing and but they said you haven't passed the placenta I didn't know what a placenta looked like so I was looking around on the floor for it and oh, everywhere yes. and they said no you haven't you haven't um you can't just leave it it has to come out and it was so surreal I remember looking out of the kitchen window I'll never forget this I remember we look, looking out the kitchen window and seeing uh, the postwoman delivering everyone's post and she put some letters through our letterbox. And I remember thinking, that woman's out there carrying on her life. And mine's in here falling apart. And it was just the most surreal thing in the world. And my mum was there. And it was just, the house was just so eerily quiet. And Dylan was there. We had a little boy and he, but he was in my hands. But he was obviously still attached with the umbilical cord. And I wouldn't let the paramedics cut the umbilical cord. I'm a nightmare. Pa- I sound like a nightmare <laughs> patient. I'm really not. But I'm thinking that my, I think I was just so, I've never felt that, that motherly. I just, I just wanted to protect him and everything. Yep. And I wanted him close to me. And um, eventually I let them cut the umbilical cord. So you're, you're a lioness is what you are. Uh, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> and, um, and then I was taken up to hospital because I hadn't passed the placenta. And fortunately, so that sort of with inverted commas, um, because I'd been on the ward previously, the paramedics were able to take me back up to the ward because otherwise they said they'd have had to leave me in the A&E. And so they took me up to the maternity ward, which was marginally better because at least I had a room and I wasn't sitting with all the strangers. And um, I was trying to put, and then the same nurse came back, the lady, the, the nurse that was pregnant, 
and she came back and she was just amazing and she held my hand and we were trying to push the placenta out and then my cervix was doing what it was meant to do and it was closed up it wasn't letting anything out and then (laughs) it was just and then the nurse this nurse Lucy she was just she her and and the sister they went and um they got me a box for Dylan and like a little teddy bear and a blanket and they said because of his gestation you and because it was our first pregnancy the doctor had said that they wouldn't do any tests on him but they said don't worry we are going to get these tests done we're going to have a post-mortem done so at least you get some answers which meant a lot and um they gave us like a little certificate of life to fill in and things like that it wasn't obviously official but it meant something to us of course yeah and um yeah and then they weren't able to do the surgery that night to take the placenta out I remember the nurse saying another nurse um saying oh the surgeons are too tired to take your placenta out today so um we'll put you on an IV drip until the morning and then they can do it (laughs) and I just remember thinking they're tired I'm bloody tired (laughs) you know um yeah that was so surreal that night we we were given our own room but we were on a maternity wing so all I could hear was women giving birth and babies crying and um it was just completely surreal that whole that whole night I remember Ryan went to sleep and I remember looking at him thinking how are you sleeping but I think he was like in a state of shock and I think what grief teaches you is that you don't actually go through grief in the same way and not at the same time so he he was almost in a state of denial I think and so he went to sleep I remember looking at him thinking how can he be asleep like this is just our lives have fallen apart here but I think it was his his brain had kind of gone into some sort of weird processing mode and whereas I was kind of just like I want to get this placenta out I want answers I was good on Google I was doing everything but I didn't cry never cried until we got home and then yeah we had a DNC to have the placenta taken out and then I was home within a few hours. Was Dylan able to stay with you overnight? Yeah, they put him in um, the fridge um, to, you know, so, but he was, then they, they brought him out when we wanted to see him. Um, and the hospital, the chaplain arranged a little funeral for us, which we had a few weeks later. And it was like, we, we, we decided that it would just be me and Ryan that went to that because, you know, we both have parents and family and stuff like that. And we just, I didn't want to put anyone through that I just knew it'd be such a hard day and also I didn't want to be worrying about anyone else and I sort of thought um yeah so we we had our little service which was just us two and the hospital chaplain was amazing and she she made it really special for us which which meant a lot um but yeah and then that was kind of that was kind of it really you we didn't really hear much from well we didn't hear again from the hospital apart from the post-mortem results to say that the baby was fine that Dylan had been healthy and that it, they put it down to cross factor multifactorial due to an infection they couldn't determine whether it was incompetent cervix because they said it had only been the first pregnancy that we'd lost but that um, if we were to get pregnant again they might consider um you know additional scans and things like that and I just remember thinking might is not enough I will ne- I just cannot put myself in that again so in the meantime, I'd preferred, I'd been on like Google and stalking all these doctors and I'd referred myself to... There's a bit of a pattern going on here, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Google has, I don't know if it's been a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> over the years, but it certainly served me. Um, and yeah, I'd found this doctor, this doctor, Professor Shannon, who works, he works in the clinic in um, 
guys in St Thomas's and he's I think his team are sort of part funded by Tommy's so we'd been to see him and he had said it was incompetent cervix so by that point I didn't what our hospital said didn't matter because I knew that he knew what he was talking about and that he yeah. he was a specialist in that area and he said that um he would recommend a stitch in future pregnancies so they would it was just it was day and night in terms of how we were treated you yeah. know we walked into that Tommy's clinic and we were treated with compassion we they used Dylan's name they referred to him as a baby they um re- spoke to Ryan you know when you're going through IVF or baby loss or you're pregnant they just direct all the conversation towards the mum mm. um and not the partner and they re- they spoke to Ryan they got to understand Ryan and his how he was feeling about it all and that that meant a lot and um yeah good so um yeah <laughs> that was did our you, sort of story did, have you had a have you had a stitch put in yet yes so um he recommended a stitch in pregnancy which we were happy to go for and then we had um come on let me think two three three more IVF attempts um and two of those were chemical pregnancies and one was a was just a failed cycle and I had then got sort of as time had gone on and I'd had more time online and I'd spoken to more people like um Sophie the infertile midwife and there's a few others who who had had similar issues and I just thought I don't want to go through that again I know and because of Covid as well so what was happening was that um right at the beginning of Covid there were women who were being lined up to have their stitch done in pregnancy and then surgeries were being cancelled right. and all that sort of stuff was going on. And I just thought if I got pregnant, imagine getting pregnant and then not being able to get that stitch. And then heaven forbid this happens yeah, again. I just again. can't put myself in that situation. So I got, I found another doctor, this um, a doctor who was also based in London and I um, referred myself to him and he um, examined our case and my cervix and all that sort of stuff and he said I would recommend that you have the tack which is the permanent stitch right at the top of the cervix which is mainly done when you're not pregnant because they have to do like a c-section incision to go in so with covid I wasn't doing any IVF um, and I felt like this was the opportune time to do it so August last year I had the tack put in amazing yeah yeah it's awesome yeah. so that means um because it's a permanent stitch that if any future pregnancies you'd you'd have a cesarean that's to, right yeah yep. awesome yeah amazing. yeah so it was a big it was a big surgery and it was a big recovery I don't I, I think c-section mums aren't given the credit that they do because <laughs> it was it was a bloody big recovery but um it you know ultimately I, I felt like it's the most extreme way of keeping the baby safe and I wanted to know that I've done everything I can um so yeah so we had that we have had one one cycle since then that was our eighth cycle which was a chemical pregnancy but that isn't connected to the cervix stuff Mm. but um yeah hopefully we get to put the stitch to a good to a test sometime soon so what's what's the what's the plans for the future so we changed clinics so when we um had our so we had three attempts after Dylan at the second clinic and we just needed a fresh approach really. Mm-hmm. And because of lockdown and all the clinics were kind of closed, but a lot of them were doing like free consultations and things like that online. So we got chatting to um, 
a few of them we were looking at going abroad and then we were looking at a few over here oh. and the one that we went with was the one where the doctor he similar to what you were saying he was talking about pregnancies up to 12 weeks he was talking about you know he kind of acknowledged that there was a plan for us up to sort of 24 weeks and up to 30 weeks traditionally what we found with our IVF clinics anyway is that they're like right let's just get you pregnant and then we'll get you to six or maybe nine weeks and then you're off to the NHS yeah I wanted someone to at least understand what the whole plan was going to be and this particular doctor is really good at at repeating it back to me so every time I see him I just say David what's the plan and he'll just he'll literally talk me through the plan all the way up to the c-section at the end hopefully amazing that and, and I just need even though he might not be a part of it or I need someone that knows it and not just says oh well, the cervix is up to the your obstetrician to deal with I need someone who's going to really understand it and understand this is difficult for us and understand the stitch and things like that because you know when we were doing like mock transfers and stuff I was really scared about how painful it would be um after having the stitch put in place so mm-hmm. he was really good with that so um yeah so yeah we're, we're with our third clinic so third time lucky we hope <laughs> sounds like a good one. and are you having to do um egg retrieval every time no so I've had how many I've had uh four egg retrievals and probably worth saying on here in, in that you know I started IVFing when I was 27 <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm 33 now so I'm not I'm not an IVF success story by any means but um my egg retrieval count has gone up each time so my first egg retrieval I was at six eggs and then I went to 10 then I went to 13 then I went then my last egg retrieval was 18 amazing and I know it's not you know I know it's not great to kind of push your body too hard or you know I know it's not all about numbers but I, I also know that once I kind of hit 30 I really started to worry about things like my fertility and my egg reserve and all that sort of stuff and Actually, I think that's not actually the be all end all. And as I've got older, my my account has got higher. So, just if anyone's listening that sort of worries about that kind of thing and worries about oh, if I take a break, that it might make a big difference. And obviously, yeah. there are some people that are on that really really low end of the scale of um, egg reserve. But mm-hmm. actually, I think giving your body the break and trying different protocols and maybe even exploring a new clinic can sometimes be better. Than, no. than just rushing your body through it because you feel like you you're on a race against time which I definitely have felt like with Absolutely. my age yeah, yeah. Oh, god I'm gonna sound so condescending when I say that you're so young but um, <laughs> no that's fine <laughs> no no but it is doesn't it because it just feels because nothing with fertility is quick it's all everything takes so long and you've always yeah. got to wait for the next month and then the next month and it's oh, it just feels yeah. like all of a sudden the year's over and, yeah and it's just like I don't know it feels like that year's been lost and yeah. you've got to start all over again so I I, I yeah. completely understand what you mean when it feels like you're racing and we've just got to crack on and we've just got to yeah let's let's get do it, just just do it do it do it do it and um yeah yeah but it's absolutely. not it's not you're right it's not always the way I, I was actually speaking for another recording yesterday and um, she was in Ibiza too <laughs> and, um, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and then they conceived after Ibiza and you know because they maybe for them it, it worked just to chill out and relax and not think mm-hmm. about it and yeah I mean who knows what it was but I think yeah. and I've listened to other podcasts before I remember when I was 
when I was trying and they were, I can't remember who it was, but they were speaking about finding things you love again, because I think mm. obviously your life can become, you you become a professional IVFer. That's, Absolutely. I've, I've adopted your IVFer. Sorry, I've just stolen that from yeah, you. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fine. You can have it. <laughs> and, and it's kind of going back to finding things that you like doing, whether it was playing a musical instrument or reading a book that isn't fertility related I don't know um, or watching yeah. trashy movies or for me I remember just thinking well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I sing more again I like singing singing makes me yeah. feel good so I'd like to do the shower I'll sing I'll get in the car yeah. I'm gonna sing <laughs> it's just <laughs> finding a little bit of you again because yeah I guess you need you need that break every now and again you do yeah I hope you don't mind um, me asking but um oh god no go on no no yeah I was just I was just gonna say just sort of following on from what you were saying you know, I think probably everyone's had an opportunity during lockdown, unless you're kind of working on the front line to yeah. really think about what it is you want to do. And we definitely did when, when the IVF clinics closed and we knew that we were going to change clinics, we, we decided to sell the house. I changed jobs and all those things felt so scary when you're doing IVF because what you want when you're doing IVF is stability and yeah. you want everything to feel the same and safe and all that sort of stuff. But actually sometimes it's good to push yourself out of your comfort zone and remember that there's so much more to me than just a woman that does IVF or a woman that's lost a baby. And I don't want that to, that's part of me, but there's so much more. And it doesn't so, define you. Absolutely. And there's so much more to all the other women that have gone through and, and men that have gone through this stuff. When you get to know them, you know, there's so much about us, but we become, I, and I know I do when I'm doing IVF, it just becomes my everything. And I can't, I don't have the brain space for anything else, but it's good to remember who you are. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to ask you, I hope you don't mind that um, I'd read on, um, on one of your posts that you'd made a formal complaint against the hospital um, yeah. with, in regards to Dylan and, and how you were treated. Yeah. How did that go? So we obviously in the early days after any kind of loss, you go through all of those emotions. And I was kind of flitting between anger and rage to just complete despair. And it wasn't at what had happened because, as I say, you know, I appreciate that these things can happen, although I do think that they had been negligent in not picking up on the fact that given that it was in the same team that had done my let's procedure to who were doing my scans, I was, yeah. literally, was literally in the same, you know, block of the, the hospital. But it was how we were treated and the language that was being used. So when um, I had a bit of time off work after we lost Dylan and I requested all of my notes and they came, I think it was about 500 pages. Oh. And... Um, <laughs> And, nice and I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really, I had to really summon up the strength to read that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of, and there was there were things in there. You know, it was when I was looking back at the notes from when they had done the let's procedure, it was very obvious that they'd removed a really large part of my cervix. But that, you know, apart from the fact that it'd been really painful when they were doing it, nobody had actually ever said, "Oh, that was actually quite a big deal." I was literally told within a few weeks I got a letter saying, "We understand you're trying." for a family go ahead and try you're safe to do so we've removed all the precancerous cells so I was never given any indication that it might cause a problem so I did write a complaint I didn't get much back at the time I was on um there was a there's a face there's a few Facebook groups for women in our situation with the cervix stuff and there was a bit of a rally around legal action against hospitals and I thought about it and I did speak to legal representative like a solicitor type person I think they were and they said um you know we from what we can see you would have a negligence claim but 
you will be run through the courts for years you know the NHS mm. will and actually I started to then think what what is it going to achieve so yeah. what I might get a few thousand pound that yeah. is that worth the life of my baby is that going to bring me happiness no it's not going to bring my baby back and also I, I still hold in my heart that the NHS kept Ryan alive and still keeps Ryan alive every day because of the, the you know his renal consultants and all that sort of stuff and I know it comes out of different pockets, but if I were to take 10 grand from, from the NHS, that's 10 grand that's not saving someone like Ryan's life or that couldn't, you know, I'd rather that 10 grand be put into towards the mother and baby units to support mums that are in this situation rather than, you know, it's not going to help me. Mm. So, yeah, so I put in a complaint. I didn't get much from the hospital in terms of response. And I, I know for me, the legal route wasn't one that I wanted to take, but I know that other women have done so with, you know challenges but I think they've you know they've got there but it's not what we've wanted to do no absolutely thank you thank you for sharing that you're eight rounds into IVF mm-hmm. um, and I've seen you a couple of times respectively sort of ask people not to suggest other options that you're very mm-hmm. aware of out there mm-hmm. and I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because obviously mm-hmm. you're not ready to to look at other options just yet mm-hmm. yeah I mean we so after we lost Dylan Perhaps maybe we'd had one other cycle after that. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I think we asked, we'd lost Dylan and we had another cycle that hadn't worked. And um, we did go to a couple of adoption open evenings, uh, one with a local authority and one with a private agency. And I know a bit about that sort of area because uh, I've worked with care leavers in the past. So I know sort of how people end up in care and you know perhaps the impact of that on young people my Mm -hmm. parents had done fostering uh, for young children as well so I had a fairly good understanding of it and adoption is amazing and it and it's still something that we we feel that we could do but there is a part of me that still wants to give birth to a child and I haven't I haven't got beyond that point yet where I where I've let go of that and I know that it would be so unfair for us to start thinking about something like adoption when knowing in my heart that right now I really just want a child that I've given birth to. Um, because I, I know that those children that are in care really need, they need my full focus and not mm. me sort of wistfully thinking in the background, or oh, wouldn't it be great to, so, so yeah, so we have explored that and it's definitely not off the table and it's a conversation that we have, fairly often you know Mm. about you know how could this work if we what about if we had one and then we adopt one but we have to consider that that there are two children in this potentially our child that we would give birth to biologically and then a Mm. child that that we we, would be coming into our family and we would want both to feel equally loved and wanted so um but that's not off the table we have looked at surrogacy albeit very very briefly I'm on like a surrogacy Facebook group and I see how amazing that can be. But I just, if I'm honest, I don't think I could trust an, another person enough. I think I, I, I mean, I don't even trust myself enough when I'm pregnant. I'm having so many scans. I mean, that poor woman wouldn't get anything done. She'd always be having a scan done. So um, I, I, don't, I think if I had a sister or something like that, maybe it'd be something that I'd look at. Because I think it's amazing for people that can do it. But I think I'd probably feel quite jealous watching another woman carry my child. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, but we're aware that it's an option, but it, it's not one that I think that we would ever consider. Yeah. And obviously the other option is, is just being childless and having a house full of dogs, which again is something we do think about. Every <laughs> <now and then>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, you know, when I say, 
you know, respectfully don't say, I think what I find what people naturally are inclined to do is problem solve. And so they try and say to you, oh, well, have you thought about adoption? Well, yeah, of course I've thought about adoption. Of course I've, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, completely stupid. I know that these options are out there, but that doesn't, that is a completely different path. And you, you, I'd have to grieve this, what I'm going through now. Yeah, no, that's it. You've just hit the nail on the head. You have to, you have to be ready to go down the next route and you have to grieve, grieve the loss of the route you're on at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And whilst we still have hope, I think, in some ways, sometimes I have wished that the clinics would say, you haven't got a chance. And and I know that would be devastating, but but at least we could then move on in some way. But whilst we've still got a chance, I still feel like we want to keep going. But I know that's not going to be forever because, you know, we're not millionaires. And yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there comes a point where you have to say, that's enough now. But enough we're enough. not quite there yet. Yeah. yeah. And when you are, you'll know. The time will, yeah. the time will come. Yeah. Well, thank Disa, thank you so much for sharing everything That's with okay. us today and for telling us all about Dylan. Um, yeah, at the end of the podcast, um, I ask mm-hmm. the same questions, which are starting with, if you were to have coffee with any other woman, alive, dead, fictional, um, family, <laughs> um, who would it be and why? Um, I would say my nan. I've, I've never met her. She died when my mum was quite young and she died quite young herself. But she, for her time, was quite... Um, quite a woman she had a career but she had a family and she was I think she was a bit of a feminist but from what I hear she was really good fun as well and she loved writing and so do I and my mum's not really into all that so I feel like I've inherited something from her so I'd love to meet her and you're you're a beautiful writer I love reading your posts thank you they're brilliant um any life hacks you can you can share with us any any top tips that has got got that have got you through the last (laughs) six years or so um I would say find what makes you happy. And and I know that's a bit, that sounds a bit cheesy and a bit cliche, but I think in all of this stuff, when you're going through something that's so difficult, you, sometimes you do need to scale back on, on what you're committed to doing and going out all the time or whatever it is that you're doing. And sometimes it's just about finding what makes you happy. And if that's going out on a long walk, if that's baking a cake doing some gardening do that and don't worry about what's going on else elsewhere in the world or what you're missing out on because looking after yourself and your mental health and well-being is so important and someone once said to me if um if you don't take the time to rest your body will choose the time for you and I think that Mm. I've definitely been guilty of running towards the next thing the next thing the next thing and not looking after myself and my mental health and then just crumbling and it's good to take a bit of time out and just come back to your roots, do what makes you happy, surround yourself with the people that really make you happy when it's when we can, when we're safe to do that. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that'd be it for me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you That's again okay. so much for talking to me. Thank you for and, having um, me. And speaking to me on your day off as well, because... Uh, <sighs> yeah, well, you've distracted me from a bit of painting that I'm putting off doing, so you're absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next with the house? You've got some painting, the plastering's going on. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, some walls are coming down in the next couple of weeks, and a new kitchen. But this, uh, where I'm speaking, you speaking to you from my office. So this is the next room to get painted. So um, I need oh. to start doing that. I think <laughs> very exciting. Good luck with everything. I hope Thank it all you goes very well. Much. Thank you again. To talk to you. And Thanks, Zoe. Take Bye. care. Thank you for listening. I am full of admiration for Lisa and Ryan with the way they are dealing with their IVF how they cope with lockdown and the closing of clinics, 
and how Lisa is bravely telling her story to help others. Please give her a follow as she truly does write beautifully and from the heart. If you know of anyone who may benefit from hearing Lisa's story or any of the other amazing women from the podcast, please remember to share, rate and subscribe. Have a great week and I'll be back again next Thursday.